Welcome to Nutrition for Life, the podcast that goes beyond your plate, brought to you by Herbalife Nutrition. From food waste, safety and sustainability, to the rise of plant-based protein alternatives, dieting and food labelling, we've got it all for you in this series. My name's Carol Walker and in each episode, I'll be speaking to a panel of guests from across Europe to discuss all this and more. Everything you need to know about the world of nutrition and food. In this episode, we're exploring sustainability and the rise of plant-based food, finding out what sustainability really means and discovering what countries across Europe are doing to ensure what goes on the plate does not harm the environment. Joining me are the leading food journalist, Hugh Thomas, who's written for Time Out, Eater, Farm Drop, Open Table, Great British Chefs, British Street Food, Ferment and more, and has advised or carried out research for food giants, including McCain and Walkers. Um, Hugh, hello, good to have you with us. Hi, thanks for having me. And Carlotta Lucas is Corporate Engagement Manager at the Good Food Institute Europe, an international NGO helping to build a more sustainable, secure and just food system by transforming meat production. But before we speak to our guests, we sent our producer Steve Bland out to find out whether the public really care about how sustainable their food is and how much it matters to them when their biggest concern may well be whether they can afford to feed the family. When I can afford it, yes. Like, and also, there's not many like actual shops that you can get good, like, sustainable foods from. Like, there's a deli near me that does like good, like, quality meat, but that's just expensive. Like, that's so expensive. Yeah, absolutely. We're very big on. Well, I mean, you know, we try our best. You know, like palm oil and making sure that the stuff that we get is actually sourced from sustainable places. I'm very much, you know, about the climate and about the environment and stuff. So where we can, we definitely try to make our choices as sustainable as possible. Not really, personally, as bad as that sounds. I yeah. think I have done a lot more in the last like, couple of years. Yeah, I've like, been thinking about yeah. it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's rubbed off for me a little bit, but probably not as much yeah, as you. I'd always rather like, buy like, local, like from like, farmers or whatever. Probably not as much as I should. Like, it's not something that I think about and maybe should. Like, say, I used to not eat meat, and that was very, like, I think that I was conscious of in terms of, um, you know, its impact on the environment. But, yeah, recently it's not really been at the forefront of my mind, and maybe it should be more, because I suppose it should be. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Um, obviously, it's something that you probably should take more consideration of, but um, I suppose it just falls under the convenience side, and... Um, difficult sometimes I suppose. Hugh and Carlotta great to have you both with us. Um, let me start with you Hugh. Uh, when we say sustainability and we're talking about food I mean what is a sustainable food? Well I guess sustainability is one of those terms that gets banded around a lot isn't it and uh, means different things to different people but um, I like to think of it as food that's produced and packaged and distributed in a nature-friendly way um, plus most of the UK is farmland so producers perhaps have a role to play in enhancing things like biodiversity. Carlotta w would you agree with that um, definition or does it go wider than that? I think that's a, a great foundational definition. Um, I think at the Good Food Institute we are looking at how do we how is meat and dairy created and 
are there opportunities to create in a better way, in a more planet-friendly way? And and the good answer is there are. And I think we're going to be talking a lot about that in the next half hour. Hugh, uh, when we talk about something that is sustainable, is something that is plant-based automatically going to be more sustainable than something that's meat-based? I mean, if you if you're growing veg and then putting it into your food, is that a more sustainable way of getting the nutrition that you need than um, feeding those uh, those plants to animals and, and eating the meat? There's a lot of crops, especially arable crops, that are produced unsustainably. Um, I mean, rapeseed is a good example in the UK. You see massive swathes of, uh, sort of like, like, yeah, that golden carpet of um, that patchwork on across the UK countryside and what's required to, to make that what it is is uh, vast sort of quantities of things like glyphosate which um, repel insects. Why would something like rapeseed not be sustainable if it's a plant that's growing and you make oil or whatever out of it? Um, is that not sustainable? It is sustainable in some terms because it's a quite a good rotational crop it helps fix nitrogen in the soil um, and that means that farmers can grow other things afterwards. Um, but when you have it in such huge swathes, um, that is taken away from biodiversity. And um, when so many, we want to encourage, you know, a huge diversity of species within our ecosystems, um, and the more the merrier in that regard. So when you start using one particular crop, uh, that can be particularly susceptible to disease, for example, or only support one uh, or, a, or a small handful of species, um, then you begin to oust other species and um, you end up with a very, as the term suggests, monocultural food system. Let me just pick you up on one other point that you made there, um, which is talking about biodiversity. If something's going to be sustainable, does it have to automatically also support wildlife? 100%. Um, and, you know, there are things like you can add livestock onto mixed farming systems. And um, there's a good stat I came across the other day that was something like uh, each cow supports 2.2 million insects in its life through its cow pats and things like that. Um, so I think, yeah, it's, it's about incorporating different aspects which can sort of work in harmony. Um, and yeah, a, a mixed farming system is a good example of that. You know, for example, using cows to fertilize your land, which then you grow crops, um, ideally not to feed other animals, to feed yourself. Um, and then obviously you've got meat at the end of it as well. And meat and fat is, is the important thing as well there. Carlotta, so do you think food is more sustainable if we're eating plant-based food or I mean, from what Hugh's saying, um, perhaps we need the, the livestock as well. I think as a starting point, we should think about, okay, where are our emissions coming from? And, and research has shown that about 20% of all global greenhouse gas emissions come from animal agriculture. So there is a need to look at how we produce meat. Um, and unfortunately, there's new ways of doing that with plant-based meats and cultivated meat now being... Um, areas that businesses as well as researchers and, and governments are thinking about. And uh, research has also shown that both plant-based and cultivated meats produce about 92% less global greenhouse gas emissions than, than, than uh, conventional meats. 
um, and also use about 95% less land and are antibiotic free. So there's a lot of benefits to, to these new kind of ways of producing food. When you talk about cultivated meat, which is I know something that your institute is closely involved in, some people, particularly if they're trying to follow a plant-based diet might say, well, hang on a second, what exactly is cultivated meat? Just just explain to people listening. I mean, do, do you grow it from a bit of a cow or a pig or uh, is it does it come from a plant? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Carol. And I think you're almost there. Um, cultivated meat is real, genuine animal meat. And it's produced by taking a few cells from an animal and then you grow those cells outside of the body of the animal. So you don't have to slaughter the animal. You feed it um, uh, the same nutrients it would get in the animal's body. And in a fraction of the time, you're able to create meat that is biologically identical to meat that comes from the animal, um, but in a much more sustainable, efficient and, and cruelty-free way. And are people, are consumers happy to eat cultivated meat? Because I mean, frankly, it does sound a bit weird, doesn't it? It is definitely um, a new type of food that consumers need to be introduced to. So currently, um, only in Singapore are consumers even able to try cultivated meat. The regulatory agency there has approved it for the market. Um, but the, in the rest of the world, we're, we're still waiting for that. And a lot of consumer research has been done in the meantime to understand what are the barriers and opportunities um, and research that we found from the US and the UK demonstrates that if cultivated meat is introduced properly and, and consumers understand also the benefits around it, that at least 80% are willing to try it. Um, but there is a big uh, emphasis now for these companies and researchers and the industry working in this sector to make sure that consumers know um, why cultivated meat is important and, and why they uh, potentially could be interested in having this in their diet. And we should make the point that plant-based meat is something very different because that's not actually meat, is it? It's, it's plant-based products, um, various different vegetables and so on, which are somehow shaped and flavoured to make them look and taste a bit like meat. Exactly. So plant-based meat uses different plant crops as the building blocks. Um, but I think what's really exciting about plant-based meat these days is that the products we are seeing on the market are a far cry from the veggie burgers from the, the 80s and 90s. Um, now companies are really trying to mimic conventional meat so that consumers um, are, are willing to choose them because studies consistently show that there's three really factors that, that drive consumer purchasing and that's taste, price, and convenience. So these products need to taste the same or better as conventional meat, cost the same or less, and be widely available. And we still need to work kind of across all three to, to make that happen. You, what do you think of these new products that are made to look like meat, but are actually plant-based or indeed um, the, the uh, lab-produced meat, which we can't get in this country at the moment, um, which is produced without actually uh, rearing cattle or sheep out in the fields. Yeah, well, it's, it's sort of fast food in, in another guise, isn't it, really? And um, uh, there seems to be a lot of sort of this argument, this black and white argument about meat being bad and um, there's no other way to it. So it's almost as if that argument is being co-opted by quite large multinational corporations who aren't really that interested in serving you nutritious food 
are more there because it's the current narrative and it's good to it's nice for them to buy into and they can make a nice buck out of it that's my so, cynical opinion so is there a danger that um people will see these products in the supermarket which are perhaps marketed as vegan and a lot of people we know are turning to vegan or plant-based diets um that they will turn to these mass-produced products which while they may be plant-based have also got um a, a lot of other additives and and chemicals and perhaps high salt content and that sort of thing which are not necessarily so good for us Hugh yeah I mean I think it's down to how it's marketed really if they are saying you know if they are high in things like um or the high they are ultra processed and they're being sold as healthy alternatives to uh conventional foods then um yeah that's obviously not a great thing yeah I'd like to think that consumers are intelligent enough to to be able to discern what is healthy and what isn't uh, in that regard. Let's be honest. I mean, plant-based meat probably isn't healthier than a bowl of chickpeas, but if you compare it to conventionally produced meat, studies show that it, it tends to be lower in saturated fat. It contains more fiber um, that animal products often lack. And there is demand. Consumers are looking to eat more sustainably, to cut down on their meat consumption. And that's why these companies are, are you know, developing these products. And I think we can say that we're still very much at the start of kind of this, this product category, kind of these new types of alternative meat products have maybe just been on the market for the past five to 10 years. So I think we're also seeing a lot of innovation right now happening on the health front as well, uh, in terms of um, kind of addressing some of the, the, the challenges that currently exist. Um, Hugh, let me just come back to you on that point, because um, Clearly, sustainability is, is a complex concept um, by itself. Doesn't a lot come down to how the meat is produced? If you've got um, cattle grazing on uh, a meadow with which is then they've got lots of insects crawling around in their in their in their hair or whatever and they've got uh, lots of different um, plants growing around them and that is helping the wider biodiversity of the landscape is that going to be better and a more sustainable way of producing food in some ways than these uh, mass produced plant-based products yeah, I like to think so. And I think um, like what we talked about before with the monocultures, I mean, they're not contributing to any ecosystem in particular. Um, I would be interested to see, like, as Carlos mentioned, the studies of um, how much fiber is in meat compared to um, cultivated meat, whether that is grass fed or what, what sort of system those animals have been put on. But yeah, I mean, you know, animals are constantly lambasted, or livestock is constantly lambasted for um, being an inefficient maker of protein. But if you think about how they convert grass into meat and fat, it's actually incredible, sort of almost miracle um, that we're able to, to eat um, almost grass indirectly through that and a lot of people said that grass is probably the UK's best crop that we've got. And we know that a lot of farmers are really striving to ensure that uh, their farms are more biodiverse, that they are farming in a sustainable and an environmentally friendly way, that they are reducing the 
methane outputs and so on. Um, but Carlotta, that's not necessarily um, true, is it right, across the world? I mean, if we look at Europe, which other countries are uh, trying hard to get this right and, and, and which, which have got it right and, and how have they done that? I think you, you make a great point and I think I have a lot of respect for farmers who are already kind of making that transition to be more sustainable and, and improve their processes. But the fact of the matter is that demand for meat consumption is going to increase exponentially over the next 30 years. Also, as our, our global population grows from about 8 billion to, to 10 billion people, and that just means we have to transform the way we produce meat. Um, there, there's just no other option. If we just focus on making kind of our current uh, meat production more sustainable, we won't be able to give the people the meat they want to eat. So therefore, we need to be able to provide them with other options that kind of continue to meet the main drivers of, of what they're looking for, taste, price, convenience. Um, or perhaps that, we should try and change their mindsets. Perhaps we should try and get them not to eat as much meat. I think people have tried that for decades, whether it's scientists talking about the environmental issues, whether it's um, health a nutritionist to talk about yeah the health concerns around meat consumption animal welfare expats and, and unfortunately people just really love meat it's it's cultural it's ingrained and and asking them to change just hasn't worked and that's why providing people with a more sustainable alternative that allows them to keep eating the foods they love is really the, the best approach right now yeah i am quite surprised to see that your annual report found that um plant-based meat sales are up 20% to a record 2 billion in Western Europe. I mean, that seems to suggest that people are shifting away from meat onto plant-based products. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's really exciting. We're seeing a growing number of consumers identifying as flexitarian. Um, so people who are actively trying to reduce their meat consumption in some way, whether it is for environmental or, or health reasons, and that's why we're also seeing more plant-based products getting on the market um, that are trying to meet the demands of these flexitarians who, who want products that are you know, tasty, cheap, and, and widely available. But we also know that uh, from research that half, about half the flexitarians interviewed in Europe still think that these foods are expense, too expensive, and almost half of them say there's not enough choice available. So although we're seeing great progress and in, in increase in sales and products, we still have a long way to go. So Hugh, um, if we look at our everyday behavior, um, what should we be doing to um, try to make more sustainable choices? Because we know, don't we, that the more consumers uh, choose sustainable food, that, that will drive the demand for them and, and that will uh, ensure that more sustainable food is produced. Yeah, I think in an ideal world, what it all boils down to is essentially knowing the person you buy from. And I appreciate, you know, not everyone can do that, especially in an urban environment. Um, so perhaps it's worth finding someone in the know who knows um, who you can trust and um, is, it knows where to find sustainable produce. And a few, few good examples of that. I suppose Farm Drop would be a good example of like an ethical supermarket delivery, but that's been and gone now. Um, so just trying to think of any other alternatives, I suppose. Um, so Farm, farm Drop was a way that people could shop directly from the farm, essentially. Yeah, that's 
That's right, or, or more directly with ethical producers um, who otherwise aren't in supermarkets um, because they can't reach the quotas, they you know don't produce enough. Um, but I suppose the, the current equivalent of that would be uh, Pharmacin, it's probably a good example. Um, so yeah, I think it, it all boils down to trust really and, and whether you can trust faces corporations or, uh, or um, someone who's more in the know. And how does um, organic farming um, fit in with all of this? Um, if we do want to try to ensure that what we are eating is, is ethically produced and isn't so too full of additives, I mean, how does organic uh, farming and organic methods fit in with sustainability, Hugh? Yeah, I think organic still is probably our best barometer for how well something is produced. As universal, everyone knows about it, um, but it does miss out on a few things. I mean, it doesn't account for food miles, for example. So there are steps we can take in, you know, rely on organic, but also perhaps going a bit further than that into things like regenerative agriculture, which are intent on um, yeah, promoting biodiversity and interlinking livestock with the natural system of things. So, yeah, it might require a bit of research, but um, it's the sort of thing that, it, at least in theory, you only have to do once. What about that point of, of food miles, Carlotta? Because, uh, yes, uh, I mean, lots of us, we all love an avocado, don't we? But they tend to be uh, flown um, quite some distance to reach the UK. We know we've all heard stories about whether we should be eating green beans which have to be flown from Kenya but then of course there are poor farmers in Kenya who do depend on it it's a very complex question isn't it I mean if we want to be sustainable consumers or consumers that support sustainable food should we be looking at the food miles looking on the supermarket label as to where our food has come from that's a, a great question I think in the the realm of, of plant-based meat one of the, the big advantages of this is kind of the efficiency of the product. So if we look at a, a one calorie of protein from a cow, for example, or for, from, from a chicken, it takes about nine calories of feed being fed to the chicken to get one calorie of feed going out, um, which that also means nine times more land, nine times more fertilizer, and nine times more crops that we potentially send from Brazil where the soy is produced to Europe where the, the feed is then fed to, to the animal. And with a, a transition to, to plant-based eating, we can reduce the amount of, of resources, of inputs required to develop this. And that also creates a lot of room ultimately for um, rewilding, increasing kind of biodiversity and, and, and planting new crops. So I think on the global supply chain, uh, system that we have now, there, there's real opportunities for improvement, but there's also uh, a lot of work happening right now in thinking about what crops can we produce here locally within Europe that would be great um, uh, initial inputs for plant-based meat. So most products right now are, are created either from soy or wheat, but there's a lot of research looking into, can we use fava beans or lupins or chickpeas that are produced right here in Europe that can also create these wonderful products. But Carlotta, wouldn't people be better just eating the fava beans than waiting for them to be turned into something that looks like meat? If we could get people just to eat fava beans, then a lot of our problems, I think, would be solved. Unfortunately, people don't seem to have a lot of interest in, in eating fava beans. People love meat. They love kind of the conventional animal products that they're used to eating. 
Um, so that's why it's now about, okay, how can we create those products but just made in a more sustainable and efficient way? Hugh, uh, let me ask you about this question of food miles. How important is that when we start to think about um, sustainability? I mean, if you have a product, let's say, for example, a, a green bean that's been grown on a lovely organic farm somewhere in Kenya, but it's been flown halfway around the world uh, to get to your plate in the UK. Is that a sustainable food to be eating? No, um, mostly because the beans, especially by the time they've traveled that distance, are losing their nutritional value. Um, but actually, like, there's some stat that something like only 10% of um, food's emissions are from transport. So food miles perhaps isn't that important in that regard, but food miles does, when you start talking about long distances, you're thinking about plastic um, production and refrigeration. And so all these external energy inputs that perhaps aren't thought about immediately when you think about trying to transport food distances. When you top all that up, that is a pretty substantial carbon emitter. Um, and there's no real number on that. So it's hard to gauge what exactly is the, the full damage, um, but it gives you some idea. Um, let me just ask both of you about um, the question of cost, because uh, we know that so many people, so many households are really struggling with the rising cost of not just their energy bills, but just about everything else going up. We've had warnings of recession coming. A lot of people are really struggling. Um, Hugh, how does sustainability um, affect the, the cost of your food? I mean, are there ways that uh, families that really just need to find something that's cheap and nutritious um, can get that and at the same time ensure that they're not damaging the planet by their choices? Yeah, it's a really tough one. It's probably the hardest question I'm trying to answer. And um, But I do wonder if it's about sort of reevaluating our, our, the, the way we value food. And when you look at, you know, the, the average cost of a mobile phone bill is 47 quid a month these days. Perhaps, um, you know, priorities are skewed one way or the other. And when there are such big sort of uh, marketing pushes and people are at, uh, ex exposed to so much advertising that um, you, you can't really blame them in some ways for sort of shunning local produce. Carlotta, how would you answer that uh, if people are really struggling to make ends meet? How can they feed their families and at the same time try to ensure that what they're providing is sustainable, isn't damaging the planet? I think from a sustainable plant-based perspective, the, the biggest driver for us to um, reach price parity or yeah, make these products affordable for people is to scale this sector. And that's why we're really excited that companies like McDonald's, like Burger King, who are so uh, are, have presence globally, have chosen to offer their consumers plant-based products. And, and these products are very much um, affordable at, at the same price as, as animal products. So uh, to some extent it has started, but across the board, we still need to, to work to get there. And, one um but wouldn't they be better instead of going to burger king and getting a plant-based burger wouldn't they be better buying the sort of um pretty low-cost eggs that hugh's been talking about uh, 
giving their children um, a, a pint of milk, which is still pretty cheap. Surely it's better to do that, isn't it, than go to the local fast food outlet? It depends what the priority of the consumer is, right? If they're looking to eat more sustainably, also to, um, uh, to minimize their, their climate impact, it's just proven that, that alternative proteins, plant-based meat is, is the best way to do that. Um, but going back to the, the price point you were talking about earlier, one of the things we, we really need to do globally is to invest in the infrastructure needed to scale this industry. And that's where actually governments play a, a really big role. So in the past, we've seen governments invest billions and billions of dollars into renewable energy. We need them to do the same for plant-based and, and cultivated meat so that we can provide these products at a price that is feasible for, for consumers. I would say it's probably better investing in carbon neutral, if not negative, um, agroecological farming practices, uh, ones that are helping sequester carbon from the atmosphere into the soil um, and helping look after the soil bi biodiversity. Farmers have a big role to play in that. So that would be money well spent. Hugh and Carlotta, thank you both so much for joining us. And of course, thank you to all of you for listening to this episode of Nutrition for Life, which has been brought to you by Herbalife Nutrition. Nutrition.